Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast here at Crossroads Church, located in Belton, Texas. If you'd like to watch our live stream, visit facebook.com slash crcbelton. Enjoy this week's podcast. So be a give God a praise one last time in this house. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you, uh, again, if you missed comedy night last night, um, man, we had a great time. And next time your boy tells you, Seating is limited. Get your tickets. you got to get your tickets. I was never joking about that. So if you missed out, next time we do a limited seat. That girlfriend's event coming up is a limited seating event. So more to come about that later. So I want to just jump right into the meat and potatoes of, of, of Dim today. And, and we're going to punt the ball in just a few moments. And uh, we're going to start off with the fluffy stuff. And then uh, we're going to go into tear jerk time. And so, Michael, I'll just uh, tell us a little bit about you and Stephanie and your kids, etc. And Right, Michael Christopher Rowan, born in Atlanta, Georgia. I used to talk like this, uh, and then uh, grew up most of my life in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Steelers. Okay, God bless you. And uh, then, uh, but spent most of my life here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, have two kids, and uh, then met my beautiful wife about seven years ago. You want to introduce yourself as well? Yes, I'm Pastor Stephanie Rowan. I have two beautiful stepchildren. We pastor a church locally in Dallas and our worldwide evangelist every weekend. Yeah, so Michael travel, they, m- most likely you all the time, but she does go with you sometimes, Oh, right? yeah, she goes with me about half the time, but we travel 50 weekends a year. We've been to 48 out of 50 U.S. states, five out of seven continents, but we've never been to Belton, Texas, y'all. Right, woo-woo. And uh, then, of course, you pastor your church uh, Thursday nights. I, I tune in quite often on Thursday nights online. They Facebook Live as well, and you can always check him out there, and he's doing his thing. And so um, for those that don't know, Michael, uh, uh, and he'll share a little bit about this, was uh, uh, at one time, even still now, but um, you, you moved in some big circles. On top of the world, man. That's right. On top of the world. Uh, as I said, born in Atlanta. Uh, grew up all of my life in Pittsburgh, went to Bible college, and then Kenneth Hagin Jr.'s father-in-law, the great Rama ministry out of Tulsa, gave me my first shot in ministry, and then I moved uh, to Arkansas, became a youth pastor there. Uh, this town uh, was tiny. It would make Belton look like New York City. I mean, there was about 11,000 people in the town, had a youth ministry of 30 kids that in 12 months grew to over 1,000 students, uh, and then went out on the road as an evangelist, February 1998 driving down the road and uh, a little struggling church in Houston called Lakewood Church with Pastor Joel Osteen uh, called me and asked me to be his youth pastor. So I went there uh, and uh, I think I was just a little too Pentecostal, can I just say that, uh, for Lakewood. Uh, they did offer me the job and it was quite an honor, but uh, politely declined, was traveling the world, just seemed to God do great things. Father's Day 1995, a phenomenal revival broke out in Pensacola, Florida called the Brownsville Revival. Uh, and I was on staff there. We saw 9 million people from all over the world, a half a million documented salvations. Church, I saw people wait 17 hours to get into church. Uh, the power of God was so strong. Yeah. Power, power of God was so strong, custodians couldn't even go in and clean the carpet. I would walk in there and there would be a running vacuum cleaner, someone laid out speaking in tongues, looked like a drive-by shooting or something. But uh, it was an awesome time. God was doing great things. And then in November of 2004, uh, I came to Covenant Church in Dallas, Texas. That is the 69th largest uh, charismatic uh, Pentecostal church in the country. About 18,000 people call the church their home. I call it Six Flags Over Jesus. It's a big church. Um, And so uh, I became executive pastor there. 
And church, basically everything in my life that I'd ever wanted God to do at that time, God started doing. Uh, I don't whip out these names to puff myself up. I, I want to tell you what God did so you'll know what I squandered. But basically, uh, everybody from the likes of T.D. Jakes to John Hagee to, to, to John Bevere to uh, you name it, Juanita Bynum and, and Joyce, I mean, uh, Hillsong and all these, Jensen Franklin, all these incredible ministries. I'm now getting to share with the stage with them. Uh, I mean, literally, I was zigzagging all over the world. I had about 12 people to do all the work for me. I never did a thing. They carried my bag, gave me a tic-tac. It was kind of ridiculous. Uh, And how many of you know when people start telling you how awesome you are, you'll start believing it. And uh, even though I I was thankful for what God was doing, I was on TBN, the Daystar, and Charisma Magazine, all these incredible things were happening. But uh, for me, I was getting emptier and emptier and emptier inside. And so uh, maybe talk and speak to a little bit about that emptiness and um, I don't know how that played out and what that looks like. And Well, I'll definitely, I'll definitely share this. I'm going to let my wife say a few words first because we want to kind of show you the chrono- chronological order of how things happen. And, and through that, you'll see how phenomenal God really was. Yeah, I think by the time we're done today, you guys will see what a true miracle it is that we're even together and <laughs> married So I grew up in church, but very different from the way Michael grew up. I think we would both say we had incredible parents, incredible upbringings, but he grew up in a very charismatic, a church like this, you know, where you could worship God and know God and have a personal relationship to him. It's full of life and love and joy. And I grew up more religious. (laughs) So I went to Episcopalian church, which if you're not familiar, it's kind of like a watered-down Catholic. It's a lot of sit, stand, sit, stand, repeat after me, a lot of rules and regulations. We had a priest, and that was your connection to God. That was who you would go and confess your sins. We were never taught we could actually talk to God ourselves. We had to go to our priest. And God was this unattainable, untouchable, scary God where you had to just be perfect all the time. And my mom was a teacher, and the, the school that she taught was affiliated with the church. So it was a, a private Episcopalian school, too. And with my mom being a teacher, you know, she'd have to stay till 4 or 5 o'clock. And so we were little kids, and we'd have to stay and find things to entertain ourselves, play on the playground, things like that. And um, it was early 80s, and the church got the first computer, which I know is not a big deal now, but back then that was like a really big deal. And so we would all, yeah, you wanted to go and play Pac-Man or, you know, some video game on the, the TV and, or the computer. And so they kept the computer in the, the church offices, in the priest's office. And so all of us little girls, um, little boys who were, whose parents were teachers, we'd have to sign up for our time so we wouldn't all fight over who got to be on the computer. And so it was one of my days, I was four years old. And uh, went in, I loved, 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 loved our priest. His name was Father Chris. Um, charismatic, just everybody loved him, trusted him. And so, you know, just went in. It was my turn to play. I was playing, and he came into the office, and he turned around. He shut the door. He pulled the blinds, and it was the first day that he molested me. And something in me as a four-year-old knew that it was not right, but everything I had been taught in church, this was my priest. I mean, he was my connection to God. And so, how could he be doing anything wrong? And so I let it happen. And I let it happen day after day, week after week for seven years. 
and I was home one day sick from school, and they used to have those after-school specials on, like, ABC and NBC and with, like, life lessons, and so I was home in bed watching one of those, and it was a story on TV of a young girl who had a male babysitter, and the babysitter was touching her the way my priest would touch me every day, and something broke in my heart for this girl because I didn't, I didn't think it happened to anybody else. I thought it was just me going through this because no one talked about it, and I never saw it on TV, and so this, my heart, I just wanted to reach out and, like, reach through the TV and hug her and tell her, I know what you feel, like, I know what you're going through, and I just started crying, and my mom came in to check on me, she was like, what's wrong, and something in me at that moment had courage to tell her what was going on, and she was obviously mortified and upset and called my dad home from work, they called other, um, moms and dads who had kids my age to kind of see if it was happening to other kids in the school. And basically what happened at that time was they went to the high priest of the church to report Father Chris. And unfortunately at that time, they basically told all of the parents that if we would leave the church quietly, they would help them get jobs out in the public. And so my parents went to a child psychiatrist to see if we should pursue this any further. And at that time, the child psychiatrist said, you know, don't make her go into some kind of trial. This this was in the 80s, so it would be on TV. It was not something that you talked about back then. And so um, she said, don't make her relive this. She's been through seven years. Just move on. Just move on with life. And so that's what happened. And my world was ripped completely out of me. I'd been in private school and church every day of my life since I was a baby. And now because of this, my family decided to just give up on God. And so there was no more church. My mom got a job teaching in the public schools. And so I went from private school with all my friends that I had known my entire life to public school where I was the new girl and (laughs) I was the strange, odd one and no friends and no more church. My mom said, there's no God because no God would let this happen. And if you ever want to go to church, don't ever tell me. And you better find your own ride. And for me, I'd only, my only connection to God was at church. See, I didn't know that I could talk to him personally. So ripping church out from me was ripping God away from me. And so I tried to make sense of why this happened to me. That was what my 10-year-old mind was thinking. Like, why would this, why did this happen to me? But the only thing I could think of, because all I had known from my church was perfection, perfection, and behave and follow these rules, that maybe I just wasn't good enough for God. And maybe that's why he was punishing me, because the God I knew was a God you feared, (laughs) and a God of judgment and of rules. And so I tried to think, like, how could I be more perfect? And so I just, the only thing I could look at at that age was society and what I thought the good people were, who I thought God loved. And so I just kept thinking, oh, I've got to act perfect. I've got to look perfect. I've got to be perfect. It was just this unattainable perfection goal. So it was get straight A's, you know, behave as good as you can, say yes, ma'am, you know, no, sir, never make a, a bad behavior and just start to be good, 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 good. Well, what happened then when I got into high school was I started to see all the good girls, the popular girls, were all really skinny and really fit and popular and good, and I wasn't. So the only thing I could do at that point was to stop eating. And so for four years, I battled um, first anorexia, and then when my mom would notice I hadn't eaten all week, she'd make us have family dinner on Friday nights, and I would eat and then immediately go up and purge. 
And I started to lose a lot of weight and get attention from upperclassmen guys. And I was 16 years old, and a senior asked me out. And I went to a very large high school in East Texas. And the upperclassmen didn't really talk to the younger girls. And so when a senior asked me out, and he was the captain of the football team, I mean, Mr. Popularity, everybody wanted to date him. So when he asked me out, I thought, this is, I'm going to be popular now, and this is one more way to be good. And and uh, so he asked me out, and we went out to dinner. And unbeknownst to me at the time, all of the upperclassmen boys would make bets on the younger girls as to which ones they thought were virgins and you know, who they could take their virginity from. And so there was a big bet out on me. And so he asked me out. And when he started making advances to me, and I kept saying no and telling him no because I was still, you know, I wanted to be perfect and stay true and hopefully God would love me then. And so um, he didn't like that. So that night he tied me down and raped me. And um, I went home. My parents were out of town. It was just my brother, my older brother, and he was at work. And I went home, and I felt pretty much worthless and disgusting and used, and I blamed myself, and I just thought, well, there's no point now. I mean, I'm, I'm used goods. God will never want me. And I went up to the bathroom. I was crying, and I was crying, I was crying, and I was just laying on the floor crying, and I went under the sink to get tissues, and I saw a bottle of Clorox bleach. And this voice just kept telling me, you're never good enough. God will never love you. Just end it. Why even, why even continue? You're so worthless. God will never have you back now. Look what you did. And I just took the bleach and <laughs> just drank it. And... um began throwing up profusely, blood, ended up passing out, just wanting to die. And my brother found me and took me to the hospital, and God saved me. <laughs> um, but it was one of those things in my family you just didn't talk about. You never talked about the bad stuff. You always presented that we were the perfect family, perfect kids. And so that was that. And um, went off to college. I graduated valedictorian of my high school. Got a full ride to college, went off to college, uh, graduated, um, valedictorian, summa cum laude, two majors. I mean, it was, I was perfect. Because <laughs> I'd set out when I was young to achieve what I thought was I had to get good grades to get into a good college, to get a good job, to make good money, to have, you know, the good house and the perfect life, and that maybe God would accept me then. And so, I mean, I had, I had set out, and I was 22 now, double major two degrees, and uh, got an incredible job as a 22-year-old working in pharmaceutical sales. I mean, I was making six figures, a lot of money for a 22-year-old. Bought my first house, moved down to Dallas, and everybody wanted to be my friend because I could front the bill for pretty much everything that we wanted to do. And I really got involved in a really bad crowd, crowd that wanted to just drink and medicate yourself with prescription drugs, and I could front the bill. And so all these people just came and were attracted to me, and I was very empty and full of pain, and so when you're empty, you always try to fill yourself with something. 
And so what I tried to fill myself with was medication to numb the pain. And so I would take prescription pills and I would drink and it felt good. But then I'd wake up the next day and it would all be there again, you know, and you feel bad. And so then it's this vicious cycle. And I started dating one of the biggest drug dealers in Dallas who also had a temper. And um, one night I went over to his house and he was he was high on something. And when I came in, he was angry for some reason and told me that if I didn't shut my mouth, he'd kill me. And when I tried to leave, he took this giant mirror off the wall and shattered it on the ground, grabbed a, a big piece of the glass and held me up against the wall, cutting my throat. And I was trapped in this relationship thinking there was no way out or he'd kill me if I left. And I just remember I went home and I was probably the lowest I'd ever felt, completely trapped in an abusive relationship, addicted to prescription drugs and alcohol, fearing a God, but wanting so badly to know him. And I'd never prayed to God. I'd always had to go to my priest. So I didn't even know how to talk to him. But I had seen, you know, on TV shows or on movies that people would kneel beside their bed or, or get on the ground and, and put their hands together and bow their head. And so, um, scared to death, I got down beside my bed and I put my hands together. And it was just a cry of help because I really didn't know how to talk to him. And I just said, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, help. It was just a help. And please just send someone to show me who you are. And um, literally two days later, a girl that I'd worked with called me and just said, hey, Stephanie, you know, how are you doing? And I was like, really bad. I'm stuck in this relationship. I don't know how to get out. You know, I'm, I'm lost. I, I have no hope. I don't want to live anymore. And she's, she was a Christian. And so she said, um, come live with me. I'll protect you. You'll be safe with me. And so overnight moved in with her and she, uh, she was an incredible Christian. She was going to Covenant Church in Dallas where Pastor Michael was a pastor and uh, she wanted to pray God with me. God was up to something. <laughs> God was up to something. She, um, she wanted to pray with me every day. And I was like, no, we need a priest. We can't pray. I just, I still didn't know who God was. And, and uh, so she would pray with me. And so she took me to Covenant Church where Pastor Mike was preaching um, a salvation message. And he showed me a God and a Jesus that I never knew. And, man, I, when I got saved that night, I was one of those absolute radical salvations. When I felt the power of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God and who Jesus was and this relationship that I'd longed for my whole life, but I had never known it. And, and God reached down that, his hand that night, and he grabbed me out of this religious mindset and showed me his son on my Savior. Amen. What we wanted y'all to see there, uh, and the reason I wanted Stephanie to share for a moment is because my life was flying high and her life was falling apart. And then when God led her to Covenant Church and she got saved, what a lot of people don't know is at that time I was beginning to take a fall. Uh, ministry became very mechanical for me. Does that make sense to any of you? Um, I, I was just kind of robotic. I was kind of doing my thing. And I'm going to say this, and if you've heard anything I say today, hear me when I say I don't think people know the difference between charisma and anointing. 
I really don't. I think you can get a person up there, and if they have enough charisma, and if they know how to push the buttons, and they know how to move an audience to a person that is not spiritually grounded, they don't know the difference. And I was traveling all over the world, and I had everybody doing everything for me, and I was on every Christian television show you can think of, but I was getting so empty inside. Um, I was speaking to ten to 15,000 people every week, and everybody knew my name, and um, but I got further and further and further away from Jesus. Um, I wish the part of the story I'm about to tell you was so unique. I wish what I'm about to tell you all you've never heard before, but it's just not. I stepped out of the covenant of my relationship with my spouse, not once, but multiple times. And I was traveling around, and when I tell people this story, Pastor, they say, well, this is probably when everything fell apart, right? But it was just the opposite. Because how many of you know when God's word goes forth, it's not going to return void? There's always going to be tremendous value. So even though I was living rotten and even though I was getting further and further away from God, I was preaching and altars were being filled and people were being set free. But I had this secret alternate life uh, that I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. P people have no idea of the lengths that someone will go to to cover up sin. And so I was going to doctors, and people said, well, he's almost 40, and he's having a midlife crisis, and he's, 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 he's got low testosterone, and I was going to all these doctors and doing all these things. There was nothing wrong with me. I was just guilty. I was having multiple affairs, and I was still preaching the word of God and, and, and still trying to live this alternate life. And finally, it came to a head, and uh, I couldn't do it anymore. There was no scandal. I wasn't found out. Uh, I went to my pastor. I said, I shouldn't have the, the privilege of preaching at this great church. I sat my spouse down at that time of almost 16 years. And I looked her dead in the eye and I said, you may never want to see me again. You may never want to look in my face again. But for 15 years, I've been my very best husband and father and man of God I can be. But for the last 15 months is what all the nonsense went on for. I said, I've just, I've lost my mind. I cried and she cried and I'd like to tell every one of you and I know people would like to hear, oh, but then we embraced and then we went through restoration. But folks, it just doesn't always work out that way. The enemy is seeking whom he may devour. And so a moral failure happened, uh, a ministry fell. Uh, in the world's eyes, everything that I could have wanted, I had. Anything that the world would gauge as success I had the 5,000-square-foot house. I had the cars and the motorcycles and, the, and, and uh, just everything you could ever want on a golf course and, and all of that. And quicker than you could say, moral failure was gone. I mean, literally, kids gone, uh, spouse gone, a divorce, a bankruptcy. I couldn't even Google my name. Literally, I would start to Google my name, and there would be things everywhere. Pastors that I'd known for 20 and 30 years now wouldn't even answer a phone call. They wouldn't even answer a text. I was absolutely ostracized and abandoned and uh, went into a depression, lost about 60 pounds. Um, and I don't, I don't know if any of you understand how horrible it is to go over to pick up your kids and your uh, ex say, you don't want to go in there. Oh, I just want to see my, my son and my daughter. You don't want to go in there. And to go in a room and see family pictures of my face cut out of every picture in the room. I bought my daughter a shirt one time that said, my daddy rocks, and I walked into a room one day, and she was cutting it up with scissors. You'll, you have no idea what it's like to get down on your knees to your children and say, I am so sorry for not being the man of God that I need. I'm so sorry for not being the father that I should have been to you. 
you have any idea what it's like as a grown man to physically get down on your knees in front of a five-year-old and nine-year-old and say, can you forgive your dad for not being who I should have been? I was literally cast down in every way and I moved away. I ended up living in a pastor friend of mine's basement and uh, I was substituting you know, preschool students for $80 a week. But uh, how many of you know in your deepest, darkest moments, God never forgets where you are, amen? And a pastor who I'd known my entire life called me and said, Michael, you need to come home. And I said, man, I'll never be in ministry again. God can never use me again. He said, you need to come home. So I packed up everything I had in a, uh, uh, a little car and everything I owned in the trunk. And I drove 16 hours back to Dallas. It was a Saturday night. It was pouring rain. The pastor lived in a parsonage on the grounds of the church, and I pulled up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll never forget the pastor standing out on the porch waiting for me. And I got out of my car. I was 135 pounds. I'm six foot two. Uh, I had to look like a cancer patient. And he walked out into the rain, and he embraced me, and he said, Michael, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And God doesn't change his mind over who he calls. And he said, God's not done with you yet. He literally grabbed the side of my face and looked me dead in the face and said, I'm not going to judge the book of your life by a couple of flawed chapters. God's not done. And I started a two-and-a-half-year restoration. And let me tell you, friends, I wasn't speaking on uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network anymore. I was stacking chairs. Uh, no more Daystar, no more preaching for T.D. Jakes. I was uh, folding bulletins and buying goldfish at Sam's Club for the kids' church. But can I tell you, when you spend your life doing what you love to do, and that because of your own foolishness, you can't do it anymore. Uh, you're glad to do it in any way. So I served and served. I got a board of accountability. Uh, I restored my life. I restored my relationship with my children. And, uh, and uh, they brought me on staff, uh, launched me back out in ministry. And then one day, this young lady comes into my life and pastor says, man, you need to, you need to, I'd been single for a little while. He said, you need to take her out. I said, man, I don't know. He goes, you should, you should go out on a date. So I asked this girl out on a date, not knowing until the date she said, oh, you know, I got saved in an altar call you gave. <laughs> and I said, really? And we're sitting there talking. And so uh, I said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. She said, well, my husband cheated on me and he had affairs and he had this and that and the other. And you can imagine what I'm going, I'm like, oh, okay, great. You know, I, I was like, great. I went back to the house and I told pastor, I said, well, that's that. He said, what do you mean? I said, her husband cheated on her. I said, who's going to ever, ever go out with someone who's guilty of the same thing that's been done to her? She's going to run. And he said, Michael, you got to tell her. So I asked her out on a date again, and uh, I just looked at her, and I said, uh, I, I need to tell you this. And I told her the whole story. She didn't know anything. She didn't know anything that had happened in my life because I was flying high, and she was falling apart. And then she was flying high, and I was falling apart. And then when on that second date I told her everything I'd done, she looked me dead in the eye and she said, that's not who you are anymore. She said, I can see God's done an incredible thing in your life and I'd love to see you again. And seven months later we were married and uh, now we travel the country sharing our story. And I think people see if God can take these two shattered lives and bring them together. If God can do that for them, then I know God can do that for me. If you believe that, give the Lord some praise in the house. 
Um, I'm going to ask Kendall or someone join us on the platform because we're getting ready to put a bow tie on this. Um, I want to say I want to say a couple of things because it's prompted by the Holy Spirit um, as Stephanie, Pastor Stephanie was talking. If you're in the house today and you are being abused, speak out. Speak up. This is a safe place um, and we need to get it out. Am I right? Like, Don't let seven years go by. Speak out. We live in a day now where you can speak out. So if anything is being done to you or is happening to you, get help. Please get help. Pastor, what many people don't know is several years later, her mother called her on the phone and said, do you remember Father Chris? This guy was put all over different states and different schools and was molesting and raping girls. And so there was a class action lawsuit that was come up, and they went and retraced all the places and women that he had taken advantage of. And her mother called her on the phone and said, Stephanie, this is it. This is your golden moment. This is the moment you've been waiting for. You're going to get to shake your finger in the face of the man that took advantage of you as a child for seven years. You're, you're going to get millions of dollars. She was going to get over a million dollars and get to point her finger in the man, uh, the face of the man, and, and tell him what you told your mom. Well, I had just recently been saved when she contacted me. And so I was in the word. And, man, when I read the scripture that you have to forgive those your father won't forgive you. I mean, I, I took that so serious. I went home and I wrote down every person that I needed to forgive. And it was this healing, powerful, incredible time where God released chains that had just bound me for years. And so I was able to tell my mom, mom, there are enough girls to stop him. But as for me, I've forgiven him. The only regret she ever had was she said, Pastor, I would have loved to have looked him in the face and said, I forgive you for what you did to me. Because most people can't wrap their minds around that kind of forgiveness. The night before the trial, he committed suicide. I want to tell you something, folks. Some of you may be here today, Pastor, if this is all right to say. Maybe you're like her and you were a victim. Maybe some of you are here today and you say, you know what? I may never, ever get over what's been done to me. I may never recover from the loss that's been inflicted upon me. And she would tell you, offer forgiveness. Ladies will come up to her and say, well, my husband looked at porn and I left him. Do you understand? He had multiple affairs, Craigslist hookups. Uh, I mean, she got abandoned, drained the bank accounts. That's like someone coming up to somebody that has a scrape on their arm and complaining to someone that has no arm at all. Folks, I don't care what's been done to you. I don't care if you've done it. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're the guilty one. And you know what the enemy will do? He'll he'll allow that one besetting sin to hold you back. Some of you are sitting here going, some of you are replaying tapes from things that happened to you when you were a kid or a teenager uh, or maybe a young adult, maybe decisions you made, stupid things that you did, and the enemy keeps replaying those over in your mind, and he literally puts his thumb down on you. You'll never reach the purpose and the potential that God has for you because you're replaying those tapes in the past. You're reminding God of how horrible you were or how horrible uh, a choice you made or, or the things that happened to you, and God's up there going, what are you talking about? I put that under the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. That's not even in the picture anymore. 
And I believe it would be very much in order for us to pray a prayer over you because how many still believe in an old-fashioned Pentecostal altar call? I don't know about y'all, but I still believe someone can come down to an altar and get set free. But here's the deal. In, in one moment, you could walk out of here freer than you've ever been. You can allow the pain from your past to be the power for the present. I don't care what it is. She was literally, I mean, think about this. In our two stories, you've got suicide. You've got molestation. You've got adultery. You've got drug and alcohol addiction. You've got pornography. You've got lies and manipulations. And if we can stand here today as a testimony of what the power of God can do, there's not one person in this room that can't walk down here and say, you know what, I want to get past my past. I want to get past my past. If we can't come down here and get free from the things that the enemy tries to use to torment us, then this thing don't work. But I know that it works. I know that we have a God that heals. I know that we have a cross that Jesus shed his blood and can erase every bit of guilt. The Bible says there is now therefore what? No condemnation. You don't have to, be, you don't have to walk around feeling defeated over the things that have happened to you. And you don't have to walk around being uh, defeated over the things that you've done. I was his, I was the biggest phony hypocrite on the, I'm on Christian television preaching to millions of people and fooling around on my spouse. She's on television. Her, her wedding was on WeTV on a television show called Married Away. She goes to Mrs. Ohio and wins and goes to Mrs. America. Everybody thinks she's got this incredible life and it's falling apart. Can I tell you, social media isn't always what it seems. So I just want to pray a prayer over him, Pastor. That's all I want to do. I don't care if you're a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a teenager, a college student, a single adult. I, if you're in here today and you have a pulse, I just want to pray a prayer over you. But you know what you got to do? You got to be honest with yourself. Because you can't be free until you're honest. There is no freedom without honesty. So who would have the courage today to say, you know what? I'll walk 30 feet. I think that's very appropriate. Jesus walked up the Via Dolorosa and spilled his blood out. So all you'd have to do is walk 30 feet to be forgiven of everything you've ever done in your life. That blood is still available today. That power and that grace and that mercy is still available today. Maybe you need to grab the hand of your spouse and say, honey, let's go down to an altar and get free of this stuff. Maybe you've got a bondage or an addiction. Maybe something has been tormenting your mind. You can be set free in 30 seconds. So let's do this, Pastor. Let's not bring up the worship team. We're not going to sing 10 songs. I'm not going to bring a prayer team down here. If you're here and you say, I want to be free. I just long to be free of the things that have happened to me or I've longed to be free of the things that I've done. It can happen right now in this place. And if that's you, we just want to pray over you. I'll give you about 20 seconds to come and stand at this altar. 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11. Come on, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Come, somebody give the Lord some praise in here. Someone's about to get set free. Someone's about to get set free. You know when church is going to become amazing, Pastor? When we get rid of our pride and our ego. How powerful 
How powerful could church be if we would just set aside our pride and our ego and say, you know what, I don't care if people know that I'm broken. How many know that the Bible's full of broken people that God used in a mighty way? The Bible says we are his workmanship created for good works that God provided. Isn't that a mind blower? The reason you were created was to do amazing things for God. And there's a whole lot of broken people down here. And you know what? Maybe you're sitting there and you say, I've been broken or I am broken. Do you have a few seconds to get down here before we pray? Because can I tell you, the greatest, most incredible, most powerful men and women in the body of Christ are those that can show their brokenness and their wounds and their scars and say, you know what? By the grace of God, he's healed me, he's set me free, and now I can turn around and my story will be a beacon of hope and health and healing to somebody else. Ten more seconds before we pray. Nine, eight, seven. If you want to be set free, come on. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Six, five. God bless you. Four, three, two, one. Amen. Elders and man, if you have a loved one up here that you want to come and hug on, if you have a friend, um, we got a thing here. Nobody prays alone, okay? So come on, I need some saints, I need some saved and sanctified people who've already been set free and delivered. Find, find a, a man, find a man, a woman, find a woman. And uh, I want Crossroads, everyone, to stand to your feet. We're going to stand in honor of the Lord, in honor of this moment, of what God has done. This is not look what man has done. This is what, let's look what dad has done. Amen. So stretch your hand this way. Pray in the spirit out loud. Pray out loud with me today. These are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Come on, church, let's have a rally cry today. Father, in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord of all. I think that hell has been robbed today. Hell has been defeated today. Satan has lost the victory today. Every demonic assignment that's been placed against your sons and daughters, every false word that's been spoken against them, every lie that the devil has whispered in their heart, Father, in the, just in 30 seconds, you're delivering them and you're setting them free. All we have to do is receive it, confess it to you, you freely give. All we have to do is freely receive it. So we say thank you for healing me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for forgiving me. There's no place I can go where your love will not find me. No place I can hide where your grace won't see me. No place I can run where your grace won't chase me down. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for healing me for what happened to me, what I had to see, what I had to do, what I had to endure, where I had to go, how I had to keep my mouth shut, how I couldn't tell anyone, how you saw it when no one else saw it, Jesus. You saw every tear I ever cried, every prayer I've ever prayed that no one else ever knew about. The quiet things I've whispered in my heart. You heard it all. It was not ignored by you, Jesus. Thank you that you're looking down from heaven right now. And you're forgiving us our sins and our trespasses. Lord, forgive us if we've been hypocrites. If we've played the game, we've sang the songs, we've said all the right things. But we've not lived it out and we've not walked it out. We confess it to you and say, forgive us, Jesus. Come on, church. These are your brothers and sisters. Come on, keep praying out loud for them. Lift up a warrior prayer today, a cry of a prayer of your people today, your sons and your daughters and your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and your uncles that are here praying today. 
Thank you for healing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for redeeming my past, redeeming my wrongs, making everything right, working Romans 8, 28, all things for my good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, pray in the Spirit. If you're baptized in the Spirit, come on, just begin praying in the Spirit over them. Every demonic chain, demonic assignment that's been placed to get them, against them would be canceled out today in the name of Jesus. Thank you for healing our hearts. Thank you for healing our hearts. Thank you for healing our marriages. Heal our marriages, oh God. Heal our marriages, oh God. Restore our marriages. Restore our relationships, oh God. Thank you, God, for touching our families. Thank you for healing our sons and our daughters. Thank you for doing a new thing. Hallelujah. Thank you for doing a new thing. Thank you for doing a new thing, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise in the house. Can we do that? Can everybody at this altar look at me for a second? Before you return to your seat, every one of you, I want to I challenge you. You don't have to feel bad about this junk anymore. Because how many of you know every one of us have a story? Every one of us have a story. And I can promise you the very thing that you thought the enemy would use to destroy you will be the very thing that breathes hope and healing and life into somebody else. Never be ashamed of your story. And pastor, I remember I used to be ashamed of all the things that I'd done, but I found out that my story and Stephanie's story has brought more healing and more, because you know what, now you're going to be able to minister to somebody else that nobody else can. Tell, tell you what, don't ever say to someone, hey, I understand and know how you feel if you don't. But you know what? God's going to give you a perspective, and he's going to allow you to step into people's lives that nobody else could because Corinthians says, comfort those with the comfort that you yourself have received from God. Peter was the greatest failure of all time, and then when Jesus was resurrected, he came before him, and in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus looked at Peter and said, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brothers. You know what the power of that statement is? Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, I'm not so concerned with your failures as I am you now using that failure to turn around and go strengthen somebody else. Amen. Give the Lord some praise if you believe that.